0: The word blessed itself, uh, the way we use it most, and especially now during this time, uh, is the idea that we are blessed or we are given things by God. And during this week, uh, it's a time of thankfulness or thanksgiving, which is a good thing. In our, our culture that is going so many different directions, one of the few good things it hangs on to is the idea of being thankful uh, for what we have, and there's so many physical things we can and should be thankful for, living in this free country, uh, having uh, resources that we do, uh, living in this beautiful area. We could go on and on, and we may do that a little bit in a, a future lesson. But I thought this morning to spend time talking about what we could call spiritual blessings in Christ. Go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter one, and in just a minute, we'll uh, look at this text. There will be 10 things we'll focus on. Uh, when I first thought of this lesson, I just decided in my early morning devotion, I'm just going to start writing down the blessings we have in Christ. And I came up with these 10 and stuck with these 10. Just as they hit me from Scripture. And we ought to focus not only on physical things, but on the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Uh, To have a spiritual blessing is not just to have a good feeling. A lot of times in our culture, someone might be described as a spiritual person But that simply means that they might be in touch with themselves or they feel good about uh, their feelings at the moment. But biblically, the word spiritual means be deeply involved in your commitment to following Jesus Christ. If you're a spiritual person, you're someone who allows your life to be directed by God, not only to be blessed by God, but at times be corrected by God because you seek to serve Him and Him alone. So spiritual blessings are things He gives us in this relationship that we have with Him, to bless us in this challenging walk to be faithful um, in a culture that's, for the most part, hostile to the things that are important to God and important to the things um, that are important to us. One of the hymns we used to sing, uh, Count Your Many Blessings, or Count Your Blessings, remember that, Jimena? Count Your Many Blessings and do what? Name them one by one. Austin knows that. Great hymn, Uh, and see what the Lord... Half done. Boy, we know that. Every one of you recognize that right away. We're going to do that this morning. We're going to just start counting blessings. We, can only, blessings. we can only spend a little time with each one, but we're familiar with each one. We probably just forget how much of a blessing it is. But look how Paul begins the Ephesian letter. Chapter 1, verse 3 to these Christians who have not been Christians very long, but they've experienced the blessing of the Lord. He says, verse 3 in the first chapter, praise be To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? Blessed us. Blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Then he says, verse 4, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely gives us in the one he loves. We'll just pause there, but he continues to go on to talk about what God has done for us in Christ. But he starts out with saying that we are a blessed people, and he blesses us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So on top of the physical, we have spiritual blessings. So we're going to just go through those to make sure, especially during this time, we know how much God has blessed us Spiritually. Number one, and this stands preeminent among even all the spiritual blessings because everything is built upon it. We are blessed by God's grace. The dictionary definition of grace is simply unmerited favor, which grabs it quite well. When you receive grace from someone, you don't receive what you deserve. If the court system offers grace, that means you're not going to jail or your sentence is somehow commuted or shortened in some way. Grace is being given a great gift you don't deserve or you haven't earned. And in Scripture, that supreme unearned gift of God's grace is simply Jesus Christ, who He sent to this world took on our humanity by God's plan and our design to experience what we experience, but mainly to experience death as a sacrifice for our sins. He lives a sinless life, allows himself to be that sacrifice, and provides forgiveness to all who will come to him. What that means for us is profound. First of all, it means our failures are not fatal. Our failures are not fatal. Though we sin in this life, and we sin grievously at times, those sins do not do us in because of what Jesus Christ did for us. He provides forgiveness, which again is something you can't earn or deserve. Someone has to grant that to you. So the sin that we commit against God is we fail in our humanity. God answers through His Son, Jesus Christ, and over and over again in Scripture, that is simply called His grace. He gives us something, and He wants us to see His grace. We don't earn it. We're not good enough. We never will be. We can't make up for what we've done in the past, but we can't appreciate His grace. And that's how Paul starts this Ephesian letter. And then he goes on to say in this second chapter, "...it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and that it is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God." He clarifies it just to make sure. It is a gift, so we're thankful for it. It is the basis of our being saved through our faith in it. Number two, God's Spirit. God's Spirit. In the same first chapter in verse 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul writes to these Christians in Ephesus. He says, and you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. There's a lot that is mysterious about the Holy Spirit. We know for sure that the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of what is called in Scripture, in some versions, the Godhead. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the most mysterious part, but yet there are things that are quite clear. You just accept them by faith. We are told that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when we're baptized, Acts 2, chapter 38. But in other places, we're told the gift or the Holy Spirit is a mark or a guarantee of our salvation, and that the Holy Spirit lives within us. That's told to us in the scripture right within the picture, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. It says, the Holy Spirit that is within you, whom you have from God. God tells us that by faith, when we're baptized, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and to stay there and to reside in there, and that our body, in fact, becomes a temple for Him. But God tells us that to give us even more assurance of our forgiveness. That this Holy Spirit here is a mark or a seal. We can't see it. We don't touch it. But just as we understand our forgiveness is by faith, we understand that God lives within us by faith and stays with us all the time of our life till the day that He calls us home. That's a profound blessing. It tells me, first of all, that I'm never alone. No matter how much you feel alone, there's a lot of people that during this time of the year they feel very alone, and loneliness is a great challenge. But if the Lord's Spirit lives within you, it never leaves as you're faithful to Him. You are never truly alone. You might be by yourself, but you're not alone. What a blessing from God! He tells us in the book of Hebrews, he will never leave us and forsake us. And the Holy Spirit's presence is a sign of that. Guaranteeing our salvation, Romans 8, it says the Holy Spirit even helps us in our prayers because we don't always know exactly what we ought to say. And so even when we struggle in prayer, the Holy Spirit helps those words be expressed or helps the Father know what we're trying to say. What a blessing to have God's Spirit in our life. Again this is for those who are in Christ who are in this relationship of faith with him. Number 3. God's word is a great blessing. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 uh, verse 16 and 17 the apostle Paul is writing to a young preacher Timothy and he's telling him what he ought to say and how he ought to conduct himself uh, in the church and in this one place in the second letter the third chapter He tells Timothy about the power of the message that he's speaking. And he says in verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. That means God's speaking through this word. God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to just consider for a moment how much of a blessing this is to have God's direction in this book that we have or that, this book that may be even, even in our phone <laughs> in all the different forms that we have access to it today. Even though there's parts that are challenging and I've studied all my life and I still don't fully get, most of it's crystal clear about what either God has done for me, is doing, will do, or what I need to do. And that provides a powerful clarity in our life that sometimes we lose sight of as being a great blessing. Think about how many people really don't know what their life is all about. They're told in middle school high, uh, science class that they're just a product of a chemical combination, and, which means you have no real value unless someone attributes value to you. You have no real direction unless you recognize there's been a revelation from God who created you. And you're kind of left to stumble your way through this world, having a conscience that helps at times, but at other times uh, gets seared and you just do what you want to do anyway? What the Bible does is God's Word is gives us constant direction. It tells us right from wrong. (laughs) tells us what we should be doing, what we should not be doing. tells us what God has done and what we're all about. Where a Christian never has a moment where they're unclear about what their life purpose is all about. At times, we don't do what we ought to do. And we fail to live up to the standard we agree with already. But we still know our direction. We wake up with direction. We go throughout our day with direction. We go to bed at night with direction. If we're ever not sure, we can go to the Bible. It's always there. Christians know what their life is all about. They know what their God expects of them and what their God does not expect of them. And that gives not only great clarity, but great assurance. And in a world that's becoming increasingly anxious and nervous because they really don't know what is going on and what could happen. The Christian, even though experiencing sometimes stress or not knowing quite what the next day might hold, they can know that even though they don't know what tomorrow holds, they can know who holds tomorrow, as the ancient hymn says. We may not know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And that changes everything. But only because God's words tells us. That's a source of great confidence. Number four, God's providence. God's providence. The word providence is a big word that simply captures the idea and the biblical concept that God is guiding us through This life. Some of the older great hymns talk about Jesus, hold my hand. Remember singing that song growing up? The idea that God's presence is with us, not keeping us from every stumble, not preventing any problem, but He's always there with us to guide us through the storms of this life. And that's simply His providence. His blessed presence. Romans chapter 8. We looked at this uh, text last week. Just want to revisit it again to look at uh, what we didn't spend much time with, but yet we'll look at for just a moment now. The Apostle Paul tells the Christians in Rome that he's writing to, and we know, verse 28, that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Verse 29, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's a lot to see here. We'll just pause at this moment. Just notice what's said in verse 28, though. The beginning of the verse, He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. He doesn't say we feel. He doesn't say we hope God works in all things. He says what? And we know. Exactly, Ricardo. We know because the Bible tells us so. We're told that our God works, that He never leaves us and forsakes us. He's always there 24-7, 365 to listen to our prayers. He sees all things. He knows all things. Again, we're never alone. And there's no one that cares more than he cares. There's no one that can do more than he can do. So his presence is always there. And we know that from Scripture. We're not having to guess God knows all things. We know that he knows all things because Scripture tells us. And so we have this providence where it says we know that in all things, not just the good things of life, but even in the difficulties, the setbacks, that God will still work by getting us through those things. Whether they be broken relationships, setbacks at work where you're told your services won't be needed here any longer, or finding out that you need to move when you never planned on moving at all. It doesn't say God did all those things, but God gets you through those things that are simply very difficult. We know that in all things, God works for what? Bad or good? Good. He's going to bring good out of bad all the time. Think about times of your life where you can look back with things you thought, whether it be a move or a work setback or some kind of tragedy, where yes, that was bad at the moment and it was bad. But God worked it out for good and you see yourself in a much better place now. Or you learn things you would have never learned if it wasn't for that hardship. God works in all things for the good of those who love him. Again, this is only for those who are in this devoted relationship to him that can have this confidence. God's providence. Number five, the ability to pray. The ability to pray. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's not in prison because of a crime. He's in prison because he's been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's awaiting trial by Caesar. And even though he's writing from prison, and this is one of four letters written from a prison setting simply because he was arrested for preaching about Jesus. Despite all of his trouble, he begins in verse 4 of chapter 4 with these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Verse 6 now. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with what? Thanksgiving. How appropriate. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. So much to see here. Let's just hit the highlights. Just our ability to pray. He's in prison. He doesn't say, well, when I get out of here, I'm going to do a lot of praying and a lot of Bible study, and I'm going to get my spiritual life started when I get out of prison. No, he he just says, rejoice in the Lord always, verse 4. And he tells them, do everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Let your request be known to God. This ability to speak to God at any moment, whether you're in a prison situation or you're in a state of rejoicing, is a wonderful privilege to those who are in Christ. Because you know that the God of the universe has invested everything that's important, that is His Son, in you is going to continue throughout your life to work out what is best for you, and you can talk to Him about that in prayer. You don't have to wonder if He listens because you're in Christ. You're in this relationship where He's hearing and listening and reflecting upon exactly what you're asking, whether those requests be in tears or in great joy or expressed even when you don't feel like praying and you cut those prayers short because... You're just tired. He's listening at all times and promising that he will work out best what you're asking for or expressing to him. Sometimes we can't even go get a hold of our doctor. I'm talking to a co-worker this week. I'm going through a lot of things and her doctor won't even get back with her. But with our God, at any moment we can go to Him. And this ability to pray where He's never too busy, He doesn't have a line out the door He has to get to first, the God of the universe can listen to all of us individually at once. And even when there's no one else to listen, or there's people that are no longer in life that used to be there that we counted on, maybe parents have passed on that used to listen to everything, or relationships got broken with someone that used to really rely on. Your God is always there to listen. He's always there to act. He never tells you, time is up. Your appointment's never over. You never have to pay. He's just there to listen because He cares. And He cares and He can act. What a great blessing. And just by praying, it says, verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Once you've prayed, you've done all you can do. And in situations that are out of our control, God can work in ways that we don't even see. But He asks us to take everything to the Lord in prayer. And as the older hymns go, uh, what needless pain we bear, (laughs) or what we forfeit, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Let's appreciate this great blessing of prayer. A prayer and our ability to pray to God. Number six, answered prayer. Answered prayer. Many angles of blessing in prayer. This is the ability to pray is one, but but answered prayer. In a 2 Timothy, I'm not sorry, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about a time that he's been praying in his life and praying for a certain what appears to be physical malady to be removed. Uh, Some scholars have wrestled whether or not it was a problem with his eyesight or some internal condition. Whatever it is, Paul calls it a thorn in the flesh. He calls it a messenger of Satan, uh, implying that, is this there to cause me problems? And he's prayed to the Lord repeatedly about that. I want to see what he says about the Lord answering him. He says in verse 8, Chapter 12, 2 Corinthians 12, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Again, there's a lot going on in this particular text, but let's just look at the fact that he's been praying for something, prayed three times that that problem might be removed, and he actually got a direct answer from God. Now, we don't always get that, but he got a direct answer, a direct spoken answer. Basically, my grace is sufficient for you, or the answer was no. Whatever physical problem he had, the Lord is telling him, my grace or my blessing in your life is going to overcome that physical problem you have. And Paul goes on later to say, it's basically keeping me humble. I just don't want it there. I want you to think about answered prayer. Sometimes we pray for things, whether it be a health problem to be resolved or a financial crisis to have a remedy, and we receive an answer because we see the problem fixed or clarified. The doctor says, here's the medication you need or here's the therapy I'm going to sign you up for, or financially the raise comes through, or an inheritance, or we work more hours, whatever, and we see an answer because an opportunity was offered to have a problem fixed. But sometimes we don't get a direct answer, like Paul got. And sometimes situations in our life we want removed are not removed, or they're not for a long time. God answers prayer at times even when He's not saying yes. Sometimes He answers no to requests that we don't know it, and we need to move on to try something different, to figure out how we're going to deal with something that clearly is not being removed right away. Sometimes God's answer might be, well, eventually yes, but not right now because you need to stick through this. You've only had this problem five minutes. (laughs) You might need to experience it longer so that you might grow deeper in this life. God is answering prayers in different ways. And just because we don't receive a direct revelation, and it's not always yes, sometimes it's no because we still have it, or it's not yet, will I do it? It's still an answer. It's still an answer that we need to, in the immediate respond, and get about the business of being faithful. So God's answering prayers in the way that He's best. But He's never ignoring us. He's never disregarding us. And there's never a moment He doesn't love us. He just doesn't give us everything we want or we think we need at the moment. And in the process, He's still answering our prayer. Number seven, knowing life's meaning. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, this is, Kind of a go-to verse in the Old Testament where the writer of Ecclesiastes, most likely Solomon, is writing about life and its frustrations and what life is all about. But he talks about, at the very end, about just what life is all about in the most general way. He says in verse 13 and 14, now all has been heard and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, And keep his commandments. For this is the duty of every human being. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Christians never lack clarity on what's the most important thing in their life. It's not our job. It's not a relationship. It's not retirement. It's not acquiring any physical possession. It's not graduation. The number one priority is always fearing God and keeping His commandments. Fearing here does not mean being scared to death. That's not what God is looking for, people being scared to death of Him. But fear here is used in the sense of respect where you recognize that, hey, you are a created being. You're created by God, which means you have an inherent responsibility as a human being to be respectful to Him, which means specifically to be obedient to His commandments. When He says, go to the left, you go to the left. When He says, go to the right, you go to the right. When God says, you stop doing that, you stop. Or when He says, I want you to start through His Word, doing that, we we get about the business of starting. It means we sit up straight in life, if you will. We sit up straight in life. A lot of times I will tell my students, you need to sit up, because they will try to lay down in those desks. Um, Or I'll ask them, could you please put your head up, please, because they'll try to use their desk as a pillow. Uh, I'm not telling them, hey, just wake up to wake up, or sit up straight to sit up straight. I'm trying to get their attention. I want them to focus on what's being taught to them at the moment. But spiritually, we know life's meaning because we know at every moment we have one responsibility, that is be faithful to God. And we're always in this mode of correcting when we know we've strayed to one side or the other of what He wants for us. We're seeking forgiveness for failures. But we're getting right back up again. God never wants us wallowing in our failures and being despondent and, oh, woe is me. He wants us to confess the sin Repent of it and get right back in the business of being faithful. We always know that's our responsibility. So we always know life's meaning from cradle to grave. Is this picture if you're kind of capturing what's shown here. We always know what life's all about. And that is a blessing because we're always clear on what our job is. And even if we're not sure about what Scripture is saying, we just keep looking till we figure it out. Then we go forward. We always know life's meaning, and that's a blessing. It clarifies things for us, even in our teenage years or adult years or senior years. We always know what our job is. Number eight, knowing your directions. Knowing your directions. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. The Apostle Paul is again writing from prison. He is unsure when his court date is. And even when he has a court date with Caesar, he doesn't know how it's going to turn out. Is he going to live or die? And he talks about that in the first, first chapter. But notice what he does know for sure in chapter 3, verse uh, 13 and 14. He says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take in hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Notice here he has a single-minded focus. Despite the unsurety of prison and what life holds for him. He says, one thing I know and one thing I do. First of all, he sees the past properly. What does he do? He says, forgetting what is behind. And Paul has a lot of forgetting. And here he's not saying pretend like it didn't happen. He's not letting it hold back. He's got two things in his past he has to deal with. One, he used to be a very prominent Jewish person. He was at the top echelon of Jewish accomplishment. But also he's someone that persecuted and led Christians to their death. If there's someone who had a very complicated past, it's the Apostle Paul. But he says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. That doesn't mean pretending like it didn't happen. He can't talk to him about it. That's not what he's saying. He's not letting the past hold him back. God's forgiven him of the sin of persecution. He's living like a forgiven person. If he misses all the accolades and the freedom of life as a Jewish person, he's kind of saying, well, that was nice while I had it, but now I have something better in Jesus Christ. I may not be comfortable here in prison, but I'm confident about where I am with God, and that's all that matters So he forgets what is behind, that is the physical things that could mess his life up. And he says, verse 14, I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. He always knows his life is to go forward. We don't live with our past failures. We don't make them our friends. We don't always revisit them. We allow God to do his work of forgiving them, but we're always going forward. God's not defining our life by our past failures, and neither should we. We walk humbly, and we acknowledge them, and we learn the lessons from the past. And I have my share to learn. But we still go forward. What does the next day hold, and how will I live better for God tomorrow than I did today? What new things will I try What will I be open to? What opportunities will God present to me to to do better, whether it be with my children, with my friends, my co-workers, my family, my neighbors? How will I live differently? And that's a timeless. No matter what age we're at, we can always do that. So Christians always know their directions. And that's a blessing. We're going forward. Number nine is a great blessing in Christ. It's knowing the answer to death. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is is kept in heaven for you. Let's just isolate what he says here in verse 3. He has given us new birth into a living hope. Then he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Jesus, we have both spiritual resurrection and physical resurrection. Spiritual resurrection is that new birth in Christ that we've talked about for a number of weeks, how that in baptism in Christ, we have this brand new life we can begin as we repent and we trust, put our faith in Jesus. Our inner person's always being renewed, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, day by day. Every day is a new beginning for us spiritually, but also we have this great hope through the resurrection of Jesus of a new physical life. That even though we see our physical body and our mind, we experience deterioration. We don't remember things we used to. We can't do the things we used to. That Every one of us is walking towards eventually a terminal condition, that is death. We know that's not the end of our story. We know that even though we die, Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is hope of living again. Because Jesus came to conquer death and prove that through His power and the Father working through Him, you can be raised to life and He proved it can be done. And it will happen for all those who have put their faith and trust in Him one day in the future when He returns. That means you don't have to be scared to death of dying. I don't want to die. I wear seatbelts all the time. But I don't fear death. I don't fear death and neither should you. Because for the believer, death becomes simply the entryway into eternity. The experience of dying may be painful. It may be filled with sadness. Because of those we'll leave behind as we transition from death, we go into the presence of God. Then ultimately, to go into heaven for our eternal home. Christians know the answer to death. And they know the answer is not in scientist. It's not in some Steve Jobs kind of figure. Elon Musk has not figured it out yet. It never will. The answer to death is only found in Jesus Christ through his resurrecting himself from the dead by the Father's power. That is our hope. The one who created us also solved this problem of death. And that is our greatest blessing. Because despite life's changes being apparent in our mind and body, we know what's coming, even though we die. Number ten. We know our future. 1 Peter chapter 1. First of all, we've, we've got this problem of death handled by our God. So even though we die, we will live again. But live again for what? I like to say in sermons, the greatest things are yet to come. And though we enjoy the blessing of being in Christ now, God wants to let us know now that the things He has prepared for us when this life is over will greatly transcend all that we know here and now. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Again, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept In heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Both James and Paul to Timothy write about a crown of life that is going to be given to those who remain faithful in this life, who put their trust in Jesus Christ to receive forgiveness, but they stayed faithful also. They never gave up on Christ and never walked out the door on Him. They stayed faithful to Him. And God's going to honor that commitment by what is simply called a crown of life, which will involve our eternal existence with God forever. In heaven, though Scripture does not tell us as much as we'd like to know about what that existence will be like, the Book of Revelation, in another place, it's going to be wonderful because we'll be directly in the presence of God. All the pain of the past, He's going to wipe away by taking every tear from our eye. And so difficult is for us in this life to fully imagine what life with God will be like we still are given glimpses in the revelation, basically told that future is going to be great. So even if people are enjoying life now and thing, things have gone relatively smooth, they still have yet to experience what God has planned for them. But for those who have experienced heartache and disappointment and things never turning out like they would like, an estrangement from other people, and uh, just a life that's less than what they've wanted it to be. God is also telling them that their future is going to eclipse all of the heartbreak and pain of this life. That they'll be directly in the presence of God forever. And there is no substitute for that. There is no substitute for that. And it's only within the Christian faith that there's legit, legitimate, fact-based hope of there being a future beyond the grave. And that's provided through Jesus Christ. And a glorious future. Not just dying and then living again just to walk around on the earth in some wasteland, but we will be in heaven. That's where the inheritance is waiting for us. In heaven where God is. His Son is seated at, seated at the right hand Everything that is great and wonderful as presented in Scripture will be realized in heaven. And that's why we can sing that song, There's a Great Day Coming. Because for the believer, it will be a great day when all that God has planned for us will be realized. These are just ten, there's more. Some are more refined in Scripture, and they're not as clear, but once you see it, ah, there's another blessing. We may look at more of that in the future. But as we focus on Thanksgiving this week in our culture, reflect upon these ten things you have spiritually all the time. Not just on one Thursday of one month of twelve, but you have this all the time. Your life is well-defined. Defined by your Creator, your Redeemer, and one day your Judge. How blessed we are. How blessed we are. Blessed beyond measure as children of the true and living God. We conclude this morning. Reflect upon your blessings throughout this week and, and in the days and months to come. See the great things God has done for you. But if you realize today that I'm not sure if these are all mine because I'm not sure where I stand with God. And I'm not sure where I stand with the answer, which is Jesus Christ. The church here wants to help and is ready to help at any moment to talk with you about what faith in Christ involves and baptism, repentance, and and what God's Word is telling you. But if you're a believer and you're part of the church already and you recognize, I just need to get back on track and I've been caught up with other things or I've seen other things as more important than these things, our gracious God always allows repentance. Never puts you on probation or parole. He just says, get right back back in. I'm waiting for you. Acknowledge what you did. Determined to do differently, but get right back in. I can't wait to start again with you. What a blessing. Take advantage of that blessing of God's grace today, however you may need to, as together we stand and sing this song to encourage you.